Welcome to another episode of the TR Hoops Podcast by your host, Jeremy Shaheen. It's only right that this episode's name is Survive in Advance because that's exactly what a lot of these teams did uh, to get to the Sweet 16, particularly Carolina and Duke. And uh, so this week, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the Duke Carolina games and, and how they got through uh, just briefly, but I'm more, more so going to talk about the matchups they have ahead um, in their next game. And I'm also going to talk about, uh, or I'll name my top three point guards left in the tournament of the remaining 16 teams. And I'll uh, also kind of talk a little bit about the first and second rounds and other observations I saw. I'll start with those observations I saw from the first weekend, the first uh, few days or four days of the tournament. Um, starting up in the West with Gonzaga. I mean, I was actually impressed. They were down by 10 at half to Memphis um, in the second round, and, and it took a lot of guts, a lot of pride, uh, because that team's not used to being down like that. And uh, for them to come back from that and, and win that game was, was huge. I mean, they've won, uh, they've been to six consecutive Sweet 16s, um, which is just amazing to say. I mean, they're usually always the number one seed out in the West, but. Uh, that's still a heck of a feat. Uh, they've won more games in the NCAA tournament the last 10 years than anybody else as well. Um, I did get that New Mexico pick right against UConn, uh, and they ended up losing to Arkansas. Uh, Notre Dame did a great job. You talk about the ACC. I mean, they've been getting a lot of flack all year, and ACC's come ready to play. Um, in Notre Dame, they had Texas Tech on the ropes there. Um, such a good team. It was fun to watch that team play with the great coach, Mike Bray, but uh, Cormac Ryan, um, Wesley, the freshman, there was a cool point where what Wesley, the freshman, had made a mistake, and uh, he's going to be a one-and-done player most likely, really big-time talent, and Cormac Ryan, the senior, kind of uh, picked him up, and, and you could see his leadership really stand out, and, and uh, you know that was really neat to see. Notre Dame's got a great program, and, and uh, they had a good fight against Texas Tech, but uh, Texas Tech was just too much. That Davidson game against Michigan State, um, Davidson gave a great effort. I really thought they were going to win that game, but just came up short. Um, these other games were uh, pretty good looking in the East. I mean, I thought Virginia Tech was playing so well uh, coming into this. I mean, they'd beaten UNC pretty good. They'd beaten Duke really to win the ACC championship convincingly. Um, but Texas, you know, I, I was going back and forth with that. Actually, you know what? I really wasn't. I was. Uh, I thought Virginia Tech would win that game. But thinking back, Chris Beard for Texas may be the best coach in the country. Uh, what he did at Texas Tech to build up that program. And um, in his first year at Texas, I mean, they, they took down Virginia Tech. They just played so physical and uh, took Virginia Tech out of everything they liked to do um, and almost beat Purdue in that next game. Um Kentucky, I mean, that was that was the big upset of the, of the weekend, um, and that was you know very shocking, very surprising. Uh, St. Peter's, what a job they did, um, and usually a, a team that upsets Kentucky, who I had winning at all. Um, a team like Kentucky, you know, there's usually a, the next game they probably usually get blown out, um, and, and that didn't happen. They beat Murray State. And, uh, you know, credit to Shaheen Holloway. He's going to get a job. I think he's going to get the Seton Hall job uh, that's open. Um, so he'll get he'll get a big-time pay raise. But they've done a great job, St. Peter's. And now they're in the Sweet 16. So they got a shot to, you know, potentially face Carolina in the Elite Eight. Uh, but they're going to have to get by Purdue first. 
Um, and then you go up at TCU. What a great job. I mean, Jamie Dixon um, at TCU. I mean, they just handled Seton Hall. Uh, not a bad Seton Hall team either. And uh, TCU was so close to getting by Arizona. Uh, there was, there's been a lot of officiating talk uh, the last few days. And there was a, it looked, it sure looked like a foul at half court when the TCU player was up there with a few seconds left in the game. And, and that, you know, it would have been over in TCU's favor if he would have made one or two free throws, most likely. So Arizona escaped that. Uh, Houston looked really good. Um, Calvin Sampson, what he's done there at Houston's just amazing. And, and they've had a really good program the last few years, and they're back in the Sweet 16. I had Chattanooga beating Illinois. Uh, they were winning the whole game until right at the end, Illinois came through. Um, but, uh, you know, that was a close one. Michigan. I mean, how about them? It always seems like a team that uh, shouldn't have probably made the tournament ends up winning a, a couple games, and if they just they've done that, um, even without their starting point guard, they've had to rely on a freshman a lot at that position. He's done a really good job. So, um, major props to them. Uh, that Ohio State Loyola game, everyone, you know, a lot of people had Loyola winning that game, but you know, the reason I went with Ohio State is, you know, their record isn't great the last month, but uh, they didn't have Kyle Young and Zed Key, and those are you know two of their key players. And um, you know having those guys back, I think they're a top top twenty, top twenty five team, and, and they showed that against Loyola, uh, especially with two uh, two NBA players in EJ Liddell and, and Malachi Branham, um, and then Villanova. I mean, they did what they do. Um, you look at Kansas; they played pretty well this week uh, to get by. Um, San Diego State, Creighton was a good game. Iowa got beat. I did have Richmond beating Iowa. Uh, the point guard for Richmond was just amazing in that game. He controlled the whole game, the passes he made, uh, his defense. Um, just such a, you know, having a point guard is, is there's, uh, it's priceless. I mean, having someone like that to be able to control the game can, can win you a lot of games in this tournament. Um, then you look at Providence, a lot of people had them getting beat. It's just been a great crew. I think, you know, they, they're number one in the luck meter on Ken Palm ratings. And I think they've kind of embraced that, that, you know, everyone says we're really lucky to be here and lucky to win this game. But um, I think they've embraced that role of just saying, you know what, you think we're lucky, we're just going to keep winning. And they've done just that. Um, they got a really good team, really older team, uh, tough-nosed, hard-nosed team. Um, that, uh, you know, they got a chance, I think, against Kansas. You know, I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, Providence make that Final Four. Um, and then Iowa State, I mean, coming after they had won two games in the Big 12 last year. I mean, just amazing run to beat uh, LSU. And then they beat a Wisconsin team where I think Johnny Davis was a bit injured the last few weeks, and I think that have played a part in it. But you still have to give Iowa State a lot of credit um, for doing that. And then... Miami against Auburn. I mean, that was a that was uh, back and forth with that pick um, because you know after watching Miami play some t uh, a couple times against Duke this year, um, they just were able to take Mark Williams out of the game um, and spread the floor with you know five shooters. Um, and I thought they may do that against Walker Kessler, and they did just that. I mean, they took him out of the game. He didn't he didn't play that much, um, and he's the, he's going to be the defensive player of the year. So. Uh, Miami, their guard play and just experience, um, 
they just controlled that whole game. I mean, it wasn't even really close. Uh, and uh, so they're moving on. You know, that Baylor-Carolina game was unlike any I'd seen. I mean, first of all, Carolina against Marquette. Uh, we talk about matchups all the time in this tournament. And that matchup for Marquette, as I said in my last podcast, was just just a horrible matchup for them. I mean, one of the youngest teams in the country. Um, Justin Lewis, their best player, their wing. You know, we thought, I thought that Leaky Black would be able to take him out of that game. And he did just that. I mean, Leaky Black, anytime you put him on a wing player or somebody, um, it's, it's, you know, the a guy's as good as not being on the court. I mean, Leaky just does an amazing job defensively. Um, and they did that against Marquette, and that was such a route. I mean, Carolina wasn't missing. It was a blowout right from the start. And, um, you know, they came out ready to play. They were ready to go. And then they got Baylor, uh, the one seed, who had did, did have a couple injuries, key injuries, but, you know, still have that championship DNA and some of those leftover players from the championship team. And that game was in... Texas, so tough to take them out no matter what. And Carolina just came out, and, and they look they, they look like that of a, a national championship team in their own right. I mean, R.J. Davis, what he did in that game, 30 points, 5 of 10 from 3, 9 of 10 from the free throw line. I mean, his ability to break down a defense and read a defense. I mean, um, you set him a screen, he can get to the basket. He's so quick. He can pull up for a floater. He can pull up for a mid-range. He can pull up for a three. And he's so good with his body at initiating contact, drawing fouls. He's really hard to guard. And then you throw that in with, you know, a great player like Caleb Love, who's, you know, doing a great job catch and shoot. Brady Manick spreads the floor. I always say that Brady Manick and Baycott are picture perfect for each other with Baycott down low and Brady being able to spread the floor. Uh, Brady played so well against uh, Baylor and his um, – ability to hit shots and he's just such a smart player and uh, when he went down with 10 minutes left when he had the flagrant two which by the way I mean I don't think it should have been a flagrant two I I thought obviously a flagrant one he did hit him up um, above the neck uh, above the shoulders but um, I don't think the intent was there but you know we did hit him in a bad way and um, I, you know I disagree with that flagrant two call but uh, they took him out. They were up 25 points at that time, and, and, you know, with 10 minutes left, it was all but over. But uh, Baylor made that championship DNA push, um, and they just, I mean, they started playing full-court defense, trying to get Carolina to turn the ball over, and then Caleb Love fouled out. Um, so I see a lot of people talking about how to beat Carolina, you have to press them. And, and you know, I don't buy any of that. If Caleb Love and R.J. Davis are on the court um, in the backcourt together, you know, I don't think you should press those guys because they're going to be able to handle it. Now, if they have Justin McCoy, Puff Johnson, Dontra Styles out there, then yeah, I think, you know, you can go ahead at them like that. But with their normal lineup out there, you know, they're going to take care of the ball um, most times. Uh, but Dontra Styles, I mean, he stepped up in a major way. I mean, hit the three in overtime. He was doing a lot of dirty work, um, some clutch buckets. I mean, they don't win that game without him. And then even guys like Justin McCoy, the way they were able to play out there, and they needed bodies out there without Caleb Love and Brady Manick. And, uh, you know, a lot of teams that give up a 25-point 20, lead going into overtime, you know, a lot of people may have thought that Baylor was it was their game, but Carolina just mentally stayed together as a team and um, were able to overcome that. R.J. Davis was 
just amazing that whole game. He played 45 minutes. He played the whole game in all of overtime, and um, they needed every every second of it. Um, and what a showing by him. I hear a lot of people talk about, hey, you know, look at R.J. Davis. I can't believe what he's going to be like when he's a junior or senior. And, you know, what I'm saying right now is R.J. Davis is ready now. He's one of the best point guards in the country right now. He looks that of, like I said, a national championship type point guard where he's just so smart. Uh, he's, he doesn't really he doesn't have a weakness um, offensively. And, and Carolina's playing great defensively. I mean, they've really upped that the last month or so in their effort, in their uh, togetherness. Um, so they're, you know, clicking on all cylinders. If Brady Manick doesn't go down like that in a flagrant two, um, you know, they win that game by 15-plus, uh, I would assume. So, you know, doing that in the first couple rounds, they don't lose any momentum. they got to be feeling as good as anybody going into the Sweet 16 in Philly. Now, I want to get into that game that, you know, they're going to play UCLA. Uh, UCLA was able to get by St. Mary's in their second game. Um, but, you know, we look at the matchups here. You know, you can throw all of that out. Uh, if, if Jaime Jaquez is not going to play in that game, you know, that game's over before they even touch the floor. I mean, he's their heart and soul. He's their leader. Um, he's their guy. And uh, he was having a great game against St. Mary's. Got hurt with about seven minutes left. Um, and uh, they threw ice on his ankle right away, so he's questionable to play in that game. I know we'll do everything in his power to play, but if he's limited, um, you know, I, I don't know how close this, you know, how close UCLA can keep it with the firepower of Carolina and just how Jaime Jaquez Jr. is their, their guy, their heartbeat, their soul. Um, so we'll see if they can, you know, what, what updates come today's Tuesday, uh, today's Monday. And we'll see if anything comes out of, of whether he's going to be able to play, how he's feeling, um, because he's such a key to that team. Uh, he was playing a great game in, in against St. Mary's. He's had a really good year, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. That's a, that's a huge question mark for UCLA. Now, these two teams were supposed to meet in Las Vegas earlier in the year. That's when UNC ended up playing Kentucky, um, and, and now they're going to meet in the Sweet 16. Uh, so... You know, assuming Jaime Jaquez is able to play with that ankle injury, um, you know, I think I, I think Carolina is going to start um, Leaky Black, their best defender, obviously, on Johnny Juzang. I think that's who's – they're either going to start Leaky on Johnny Juzang or on uh, Jaime Jaquez Jr. And I think it'll be Johnny Juzang, um, the, the transfer for, from Kentucky a couple years ago. He had a really good year last year. He's having a good year this year. Averages about 15 points a game. Um, we'll see Jules, their senior uh, forward, against uh, Caleb Love, I'm assuming. Um, and then I think, you know, or we will see Tiger Campbell, uh, the, the quick guard against R.J. Davis, which would be a great matchup. I mean, both of those guys are really good point guards. And uh, both very quick, both very smart. And that would be a really good matchup. Now, the key here, I don't think UCLA has an answer for Baycott. I mean, really nobody has an answer for the guy. He's been a walking double-double all year. Um, but Cody Riley is going to get the assignment on him. Um, and then they'll throw Miles Johnson on him, who's been getting spot minutes um, against Baycott. And I think Baycott, you know, he'll have a real advantage every game he goes into. He has a, a big-time advantage down low. So if he can get those guys into foul trouble... Um, 
you know, that, that will be key in that game. Now, uh, UCLA is going to try to do what they do. They're going to try to slow down the game, uh, make it a half-court game. And if Carolina, you know, can get off to a hot start like they have these last games, it's going to be hard for UCLA to overcome that because they don't like to play fast. They don't shoot many threes. Um, they're 311th in the country in field and three-point field goal attempts. So they don't want to, you know, get in this back and forth track meet, shooting a lot of threes, running gun. Um, so if UNC can get up early on them, that could really put UCLA in a, a position they don't want to be in. Um, and, uh, you know, UNC was holding teams to 43% field goal their last three games. They're holding teams to 37% field goal percentage. Their defense just has improved so much. Um, and those stars, I mean, even Brady Manick, he's not the quickest guy. He's not the strongest guy, but his his basketball IQ is very high, and uh, they're paying a lot more attention to that defensive side. I mean, a couple months ago, teams were just carving them up, uh, but that's not happening anymore. They're the ones carving those teams up, and they're getting stops. Um, and Leaky Black's a huge, obviously, he's a huge piece to that. And like I said, I think he'll guard Johnny Juzang. I think, I think he'll get the start on him. That will be interesting for Hubert and how he goes about that matchup. Um, you know, I really like Caroline in this game, and I think they have a great opportunity at hand to play either uh, Purdue or St. Peter's in the Elite Eight. Um, and I think UNC, I mean, I just think they're too much for UCLA. They're, they're too, uh, the way they're playing, I mean, they're playing as good as any team in the country, if not the best. Um, and it's going to take a lot from UCLA. I mean, they're going to have to get hot. They don't like to shoot threes. Carolina is one of the best shooting three-point teams. Um, UCLA, I mean, Mick Cronin, their coach, came from Cincinnati before he was at UCLA. Just signed a long-term deal with UCLA. But, you know, he likes to slow the game down and make it, you know, physical. And um, that's just going to be tough, I think, for them to be able to do that against Carolina. At the way Carolina is playing, R.J. Davis is controlling the game. You know, when Caleb Love at any moment, he can hit an NBA three-pointer and get hot and, uh, you know, Brady Manick. So we'll see if Carolina will have to go into their bench. Um, but uh, they're going to have the advantage in this game, even if Jaime Jaquez does play and he is somewhat healthy um, or healthy. They're going to have to, you know, have a heck of a game, UCLA, to be able to, to have a chance here, I think, in this one. Now let's go to Duke's region. Uh, the West region, they... Uh, their first game, it went all right for them. I mean, they didn't play great, but they were able to beat that 15 seed. They got a good draw there. Um, and I thought uh, going into that second game, I thought Michigan State would be a better matchup for Duke than Davidson won. I just thought Davidson with their, you know, the way they cut, the way they pass the ball, their three-point shooting, their offense would be really hard for Duke to contain. Duke's had a lot of issues defensively recently in their communication. Um, and their ability to get stops, their ability to turn teams over. They're one of the worst uh, teams at turning the, the opposing team over in the country. They don't turn, teams don't turn the ball over against them, so they're not getting, uh, they're not forcing teams into turnovers, which is uh, not a good thing defensively. Um, but uh, Duke ended up playing, obviously, Michigan State, and, and Michigan State, I thought, played a great game. Uh, they shot 11 of 22 from three. Now, some of that's Duke's fault, the way they were guarding. Um, there were many plays where they you know, had wide-open looks, but also you got to tip your cap to Michigan State for, for shooting the ball uh, like that. Um, you know, 
I, I, I'm saying this, and I don't mean to be hard on the kid, but AJ Griffin, I mean, he's a, he's going to be a lottery pick, and he's a good he's a good player, obviously, great shooter. But you know, I don't think Duke wins that game if he's in there if he doesn't go down with the the ankle injury. Which, by the way, he's fine. He's going to play in the next game. But if he if he if he doesn't go down, you know, that was the first thing that I thought that you know Duke has a better chance to win the game without him in the game um, because offensively they. They're better, obviously, with them out there, but defensively, they take such a toll. Um, they get so much worse defensively with him out there. There was a play that, you know, you think about, there was a play where Paulo was guarding uh, Hauser on their team where Paulo had to get, had, uh, you know, Hauser had no move to make. He had already picked up his dribble, and there were, you know, seconds left on the shot clock. And AJ comes over and helps, you know, comes to double team him. Um, where it was just, it's a lot of mental plays where he leaves a shooter, a good shooter, Christie, wide open. Um, and he, he just can't have that, especially in the tournament where every possession matters. And uh, the, all the momentum, I'm mean, hitting one three can mean a lot. And uh, there's just a lot of plays like that where he gets beat back door, just come, some mental mistakes. And I know he's an 18-year-old and it's tough. I mean, these teams that they're playing are a lot older than them. and um, But, you know, uh, they're going to need AJ going forward. I think you know against Texas Tech, I believe they're going to need his shooting. Uh, I think they're going to have to hit a lot of shots, a lot of threes to have a chance in that one. I thought Jeremy Roach did play probably his best game at Duke. Um, he was able to get to the basket, uh, find got find open players. Um, you know he made a clutch three there at the end that went in. Uh, I thought he played a great game. He's his burst. Um, he seems to be playing with a lot more confidence. Uh, these days, and, and they're giving him the ball a lot more to kind of just control the game for Duke. Um, you know, it's been kind of by committee most of the year of, of bringing the ball up and uh, being in that that lead guard position, but now they, they seem to be giving him a bit more of the keys to the offense and letting him control things. Apollo made some big plays down the stretch. I mean, that block he had on Hauser at the end was Probably his best defensive player of the year, play of the year, um, and then he had a couple layups there. He was hitting some shots. Uh, he can he can fall in love with that three point shot uh, a little too much, but um, you know that's kind of how he, that's how he plays. And and you know if he can use his body, I mean he's 6'10", 250. He, if he can uh, get down low and and uh, try to get his work that way, um, you know, but Duke gives him a lot of freedom. They, they, they let him shoot those shots, and they're okay with him shooting threes and shooting um, contested twos. Uh, but Mark Williams, he had a good game. I mean, five blocks. Uh, he controlled the paint for Duke. I mean, it was, it was a telltale was every time, and, I, and I, I'm a fan of Theo John and his game, but um, every time that Mark left the court, Duke was a lot worse. Um, and, you know, I felt like, he was such an important player um, in that game, and they needed him out there as much as he could. And Keels had a—he stepped up big time. He's been shooting bad from three-point range, and he hit a big three there where Paulo kicked it out to him towards the end. Uh, they need that from Keels against Texas Tech. I mean, it's going to take everything uh, from that team to have a chance against um, Texas Tech. Getting into that Texas Tech game, I mean, those guys are like junkyard dogs. I mean. They have the number one defense in the country, and that's not my opinion. That's statistically the number one defense, uh, you know, earlier in the year, mid-year, and now. I've thought that Texas Tech team is a really bad matchup for Duke. 
And here we are. They're going to be playing each other. Texas Tech plays up to 10 guys. Got a lot of depth. They play physical. I mean, officiating in this tournament. They've let, in the, they've let these guys mostly play really physical. Um, and you're going to see that from Texas Tech. They're not going to call ticky-tack fouls on them. Um, you know, and they don't play. Another big thing for this matchup is they don't play a guy that's many minutes that's under 6'5 and 200 pounds. So Jeremy Roach at 6'1". Uh, he's going to have some tough matchups in this game. I mean, they're going to be able to go at him uh, when when Duke's on defense. They're going to be able to go at Jeremy Roach and just use their their height and their strength and their athleticism at him. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out for him. Uh, they got the O'Banner, Kevin O'Banner from um, Oral Roberts. They made the Sweet 16 last year as a, a 15 seed, and they've got he's a transfer at, at Texas Tech. Um, they start three seniors, two juniors, and they bring a bunch of seniors off the bench. Um, but they're just, I mean, that team is, uh, the defense, the, the intensity they play with, the energy, I mean, that's going to knock Duke back. And, and if Duke gets down too too quick um, early in the game, I mean, that's going to be hard for them to overcome because anytime you get a bucket against Texas Tech, it's a, it's a huge deal. It's not, they don't give you anything easy. Uh, they're going to make you work for it. There's no wide-open dunks. There's no wide-open layups. Um, I think Duke's going to have to hit a lot of threes, and that's where A.J. may come in. I mean, they're going to need his offense in that game, and, and he's not going to be able to play soft, and he's going to have to play like a grown man against those Texas Tech guys because uh, they're, they're as physical as any team in the country, um, and they come from the best conference in the country, the Big 12. So they've seen everything, and they're not going to be scared of, of Duke and um, – you know, uh, Texas Tech, I mean, like I said, it's just a bad matchup for Duke. But, you know, they got a chance. Um, they're there, and, and we'll see if they can make any noise. And another thing, I mean, like this game will be physical, but if Mark Williams gets in early foul trouble, Paolo, all those guys, I mean, Duke's not very deep. They don't want to have to go to that bench against this Texas Tech team because, you know, just even getting into the lane with the ball, their, their hands are swiping everywhere trying to get turnovers. Um, they force teams into a lot of turnovers and, uh, they're just all over the place. It's almost like they have six guys out there when the other team has five. I mean, that's how, and they play hungry. They, they relish in their style of play. Um, so you're going to have to be ready for a battle against them or they'll come out and, and knock you out quickly. Now, something else to note, I mean, coach K is 0 five in the West region when they've had to go West, um, so, I mean, that's, that's a quick turnaround. I mean, playing Thursday after a Sunday night game, um, going out west. I mean, there's no excuses, but it will be a quick turnaround for them. Uh, so they're going to have to be ready to put that that sweet, uh, that round two game behind them uh, because they got, you know, the toughest game ahead of them of the season. So um, we'll see if, if they can come out and if they come out flat or um, we'll be looking for that. I mean, I know Texas Tech will throw that first punch, and they throw a lot of punches, but, you know, will, will that knock Duke out? Uh, that's to be determined. You know, one more thing I want to note in this Duke-Texas Tech game, you know, I know J Coach K hasn't made a ton of adjustments, hasn't made many, many at all this season, but to maybe go zone against that Texas Tech team, I mean, they've shown the ability to hit some three-point shots, but they're not a great three-point shooting team. I know Duke has given up a high percentage to teams recently, but, you know, um, maybe Duke throws in a wrinkle there and goes a 1-3-1 zone or a 2-3-1 zone or does something a little bit different to 
try to mess up Texas Tech. And then on the other end, they're just going to get Duke down low and probably double team them, do everything they can. From They don't give up any layups. So uh, Duke's got to be able to hit shot. You wonder if, you know, Duke's just going to have to hit threes. It's just simple uh, as that. I mean, they didn't hit many against um, Michigan State, but they're going to be taking a lot more, I'm sure, in this next game. And um, if they're not going down, it, it definitely could be a long night for them. Now I'll get into the top three point guards, uh, I think, are left of these 16 teams. But before that, I'll give a hot take. I don't think we're going to see any number one seeds in the Final Four. Um you know, which uh, hasn't happened for a long time. I don't think we'll see any of these one seeds. Baylor's obviously out. I think Arizona's going to get beat. I think uh, Gonzaga's going to get beat. I think Arkansas could get Gonzaga or Texas Tech could get them. Um, you know, Kansas probably has the best shot. Um, but I think even Providence could get them. Now, if Kansas does get by Providence, um, I think they do get to the Final Four. But... Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's it's, it's uh, to be determined. It's not going to be easy. I like that matchup for Providence. I think they can give Kansas a really tough time. Um, so we'll see if it happens. So my top three in no order. Um, I'm going to count Jaden Ivey as a, as a point guard uh, from Purdue. So I'm going to go with him in there. I mean, he's he's going to be a lottery pick. He could be a top five pick. I mean, he kind of reminds me of a Ja Morant type, which is uh, Jaws one of the best players in the world now, but you know, that the explosiveness he has, he's the, his ability to hit the three, um, just so quick, so athletic. He gives Purdue a chance um, to be able to beat St. Peter's and move on in that game. Um, so we'll see. I, I, you know, his game is just is oozing with talent. Um, the next guy, I mean, I'm going with R.J. Davis. Uh, like I've said in this podcast, I really think he can take them. Uh, to the promised land, um, and I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. He's just played so well uh, this second half of the year, more of a facilitator role now for him, more of, not facilitator role, but having the ball in his hands more now, his ability to score, get to the basket. He's got the mid-range, he's got the long game, he's smart, high IQ, um, you know, great from the free throw line, great three-point shooter, um, you know, having the ball in his hands at the end of the game, you know, going back to that Carolina game against Baylor, that last play before overtime, you know, I thought that was, that was exactly what I would have done. Um, if I was in Hubert's position, you just give the ball to, to RJ Davis, let him, you know, make a play, either shoot the ball, get to the basket, kick it out. You, you let your, you let your leader like that, you know, do his thing. Um, you know, the trust that he has in him and, and RJ is just, it's been an amazing growth year for him. Uh, even, you know, it's been an amazing growth month for him. I mean, he's really come into his own 12 assists against Marquette. Um, so, you know, that's a guy you want on your team, one of the best point guards in the country. Um, and then Colin Gillespie, who I think is the best point guard in the country. Um, he's been there for a long time at Villanova, but, um, you know, just a leader, great, great player, great free throw shooter, great three-point shooter. Um, you know, that, that winning culture at Villanova, you know, it's guys like that, that, uh, really hold it over. I mean, he's just such a good player. So smart. Um, you know, in the post Colin, you know, they'll try to post him up against smaller guards, really strong. Um, 
you know, we even saw it multiple times against Ohio State and then in other games throughout the season. I've watched quite a bit of him. He's just very crafty, um, and he's just the, he's their leader. He's their guy that holds them together. I mean, we saw last year when he went down with the ACL that the team did not end the season well, but um, and that's due to him. I mean, he, he holds everything together. He's the glue of what makes them go. Um, so, you know, having him, they're going to have a chance against any team to win that game. Um, and so those are my top three, I would say. Jaden Ivey, uh, Colin Gillespie, and R.J. Davis. So I'll end with that, with the episode Survive in Advance. And this is Jeremy from the TR Hoops podcast, and we'll catch you next time.